The Start On Demand. On demand. The Philippines is prepared to declare war on Canada if we don't take back all the garbage we dumped there six years ago. Speaking of garbage, a neighborly dispute over garbage cans resulted in a shotgun being pulled out in B.C. Mayor Brian Bowman joins us to discuss a controversial activist set to speak in Winnipeg, and he doesn't want her here. We do, however, want Lara Ray here, and today she answered the call to tee up the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. And the reviews are in for Avengers Endgame, and I am beyond excited! I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, April 24th podcast for The Start. Greg, I know you have a lot of hockey jerseys <laughs> yes. in your collection, but what is this? A San Jose Sharks jersey. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the San Jose Sharks beat the Vegas Golden Knights last night in one of the most thrilling games that nobody saw last night because it happened between about 10.30 and midnight central time. So nobody in the East saw it. Very few people in the central time zone saw it. There were six goals scored in the third period. The Golden Knights were up 3 nothing. Wow. The Sharks scored four times on a five-minute power play to take the lead. Golden Knights score with 37 seconds left, and then the Sharks scored in overtime. Absolutely incredible game. I got this jersey in San Jose about 12 years ago. Have never had a reason to wear it. Thought I would wear it well, today. Well, you might as well wear someone's jersey. There I came, we go. In, I came in this morning and said I was done with hockey for the year. Yeah, so. I'm kind of done too, but uh, the Maple Leafs lost last night too. That was I'm not dancing on anybody's grave, but <laughs> I will. You're, but you're disappointed. Yeah, Lauren? I was. Uh, I was cheering for them. My kids are fans, and and so oh, you know, I'm sorry, we Lauren. try to. That's all right. We try to support like each other. And I just, uh, I was second period. I was convinced there was going to be some sort of miracle moment. And unlike when I watched the Jets, I felt they felt. On Saturday, Doom, from the beginning, for some reason, last night, I was like, ah, I feel like the Leafs are going to turn this around. It's going to be this great, finally get this monkey off their back with the Boston Bruins. Nope, that's done, so I'm done. I'm moving on. The, the Leafs had some really good parts of that game. It was not a 5-1 game. It was really a 3-1 game. I know. And then a couple of empty net goals salted away. So no more Canadian teams, and we do not have to put up with... Uh, all the incessant Toronto coverage on every That's single true. sports That's channel, fair. every news channel, the whole idea of that the Maple Leafs are Canada's team just because they were the last standing Canadian team. They played exactly one more game than the Jets. Now, so how about that? Last year we did put out the question, I remember when the Jets were the last standing sure. Canadian team and we asked the rest of the country what are your thoughts? Are you cheering for the Jets, right? I mean, we kind of had that push too, or that feeling that if you're going to cheer for anybody, you should be cheering for the Jets. And I do wonder if people now actually really stop watching hockey because there's no Canadian or local team left. I mean, I know for sure that's the case in our house. I'll, I'll watch the end, like <laughs> game five or whatever of the Stanley Cup final, but that's there's about a game it. seven tonight. With those, Washington? Those, those Is it Washington? From uh, Carolina. As uh, Don Cherry calls them, that bunk- bunch of jerks, and the uh, Washington Capitals. So that should be fun tonight as well. And then round two will get underway. I don't know if it's tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night or 
or on Friday. So that's that's it. Tonight wraps up the first round of yes. the North American Ice Hockey League Championships. Mm-hmm. And it's been a shocking round, first round. Maybe the most unique first round in the history of the National Hockey League. Yeah, no kidding with all the, uh, the, the favorite teams... Uh, getting dumped. Remind me, the defending champion is Washington. Isn't Correct. That's right. Okay. Correct. All right. So if they go down, then it really, then really it is topsy turvy and upside down because you got the Western Conference champion out now uh, from last year, Vegas. Mm-hmm. The Central Division champ this year, regular season, Nashville out. Jets were favorite. Calgary. We've already spoken about Tampa. And the fact that they're out and the Pittsburgh Penguins were one of the big favorites coming in. So it is a wide open now. And if Carolina somehow finds a way, every game uh, won in that series has been a home ice victory. So if Carolina can find a way to win in Washington tonight, oh my gosh. Is there a- it is totally a wide open field. I can get back on board. There has to be a local, there has to be a Manitoba note there still playing. There's um, in Vegas, right? Yeah, well, they're done, though. Well, they lost. They right. lost last night. Right, right, right. And a lot of people... I'm trying to find a reason to still care. Well, like, you know, Bar- if there's a I'll local give person you a or... I'll give you a reason to care. Barry Trotz, who was the coach of the Capitals last year, his contract was not renewed by the Capitals, went to the New York Islanders, took them from dead last in goals against to first in goals against in terms of... The least amount of goals against. Uh, he's um, Dauphin boy. Right. And okay. uh, so maybe you want to get on the New York Islanders bandwagon. Oh boy. They lost John Tavares to Toronto. They decided to let him walk away, their superstar. And they have managed to win playing a genuine team game. And uh, I think I'm going to throw my support behind, behind Barry Trotz and the Islanders. It's orange and blue. I just, I don't know what they were thinking. How about those years when the Oilers <laughs> and the Islanders used to play each other in the I final those two years? Yeah, just the ugliest orange, team blue, matchup. Ugh, so Ugh. much orange and blue. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get behind well, Barry Trotz, though. I will. That's a good idea. Well, orange and blue looks good in Edmonton, does it not? I could make the art. No. Oh, I was I was trying to get Greg to punch get him <laughs> riled up. Get him riled up. <laughs> I can make the argument. No, I cannot. What everybody says in the morning. Let me just take this blue shirt and find some orange pants, and that'll all go yeah, well that'll together. Look great. Nobody says that ever. That would actually be a fun golf outfit, though. That, that would, it would. That would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll draw some inspiration from the Oilers and the Islanders for your next golf getup. Not so spectacular is what the Philippines have been trying to deal with for the last six years. Yeah, the president of the Philippines says if Canada doesn't take back tons of trash within the next week, he will, quote, declare war, end quote, and ship the containers back himself. Here's Terry Pedwell with the backstory. More than 100 of the containers were shipped to Manila by a Canadian company starting six years ago. They were improperly labeled as plastics for recycling, but customs inspectors discovered they actually contained garbage, including soiled adult diapers and kitchen trash. Canada has been trying for nearly six years to convince the Philippines to dispose of the garbage there, even though a Filipino court ordered the trash returned to Canada in 2016. Filipino media outlets are reporting that Rodrigo Duterte made threats yesterday about these shipping containers filled with Canadian household and electronic garbage that has been rotting in a port near Manila, as you heard, for nearly six years. Here's some audio that backs that reporting. I want a boat prepared. I'll give uh, a warning to Canada maybe next week that they better uh, pull that thing out or I will set sail. 
Kawain natin, huwag ka nada. We'll declare war against them. Kaya man natin yan sila. Eh, sa uli ko talaga yan. Ah, tingnan mo. Ikarga mo yan doon sa ano, barko. Load it the containers to a ship and advise Canada. I will advise Canada that your garbage is on the way. Prepare a grand reception. Eat it if you want to. Go prepare your and celebrate because your garbage is coming home. Now, Duterte is accused and, and has some very unconventional, to say the least, uh, ways of governance, but it's impossible not to chuckle a little bit at at his uh, warnings uh, to Canada. Kathleen Ruff of Right on Canada explains how the situation betrays the, the Basel Convention. She also tells us what Canada does next. What happened is that there were thousands of tons of waste that were shipped over to the Philippines from Canada. An Ontario company shipped them to, to the Philippines and uh, they were labeled as being plastics for recycling. But this was false. They were mixed garbage and trash. And when they were opened at the port in the Philippines, in Manila, um, they saw right away that they had been fraudulently labeled, mislabeled, incorrectly labeled. Under the Basel Convention, which is a convention on trying to manage and take responsibility for our wastes, um, it is illegal to ship overseas um, waste that are fraudulently or incorrectly labeled. That makes them illegal wastes, and that makes that action a violation of international law. Particularly uh, shocking to me, and that I was involved for the past 10 years in trying to get the Canadian government to stop sabotaging a sister convention called the Rotterdam Convention, and Canada was sabotaging it by exporting asbestos to developing countries and saying, oh, this was a really good thing to do, when, when clearly it was a violation of the convention and it was a terrible thing to do. And we've won that battle, um, but we have to hope we win this battle too. And I cannot for the life of me understand why the government is saying this completely false argument that it's a good thing for developing countries to receive our wastes. That's not true. We should deal with our own waste, and we have much more ability and resources to deal with them than developing countries who are already swamped with plastics and waste and toxic garbage. It doesn't make sense what the government's doing, and it is immoral what the government is doing. It's illegal, and it's totally disrespectful to developing countries. That's Kathleen Ruff of RightOnCanada.ca. They're an internet and public advocacy, uh, advocacy campaign of the Redo Institute to put human rights back on Canada's political agenda. So, I mean, this reminds me of that garbage barge from New York City back in 1987 that was banned from both six states and two countries as it tried to find a home for months and months floating around the eastern seaboard and into the Gulf of Mexico. But I think the Philippines would be perfectly within their rights to put these six containers on a ship and send them right back but to just Canada. just to be clear, we can do this, just not in the way we did it. Like, I didn't even know we were shipping garbage around the world like this to begin with. So it has to do with how it was labeled or what's in it. 
I think it was labeled if based on what I've heard and what I've read, it was labeled to be recycling because we don't do a lot of the recycling. You know, when you take your TVs mm-hmm. and, and your electronics to be recycled, typically those end up going overseas to developing countries. That's where they that's where they go to be pro- processed. Uh, but this material was labeled as recyclable, but it was clearly garbage. Mm-hmm. So we lied. This Ontario company uh, misrepresented what was inside those containers, well, and, and I think it'll be, well, uh, allegedly lied about what was inside those containers. Yeah, so I don't know, I don't know why this has taken six years to deal with. Just Gross, get them on a- and imagine what's in it when it comes back. Like, yeah. like then what? So yeah. it comes back. We've been I trying to convince them to keep problem. it. No, I know, but now you have these shipping canes. Who's opening up those containers after they've been sealed don't for six months open them. to then bury that trash or do what has to no, be no, done no. with How them? How disgusting. Put them on a big truck and find what? a giant hole Ugh. and just... Put them in a hole. We got to do better. We have to be able to do better than this. We have this. room over at Mount Brady there. <laughs> build them a little taller. Build up Mount Brady in another few feet. Mackling McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Jeff Fortier. And we were just talking about this garbage situation in the Philippines where Canada, about six years ago, sent a whole bunch of shipping containers labeled as recyclables, but... Turns out they were full of trash, like adult diapers and whatnot. Don't want to open those containers six years later. And the Philippines are threatening to declare war if Canada does not resolve the situation. Well, got us thinking of this other situation, another garbage-related situation, in a spot where you spent some time, right, Greg? Yeah, Kelowna, B.C., just down the road from Vernon. I think typically when we think Kelowna, we think the picturesque, Okanagan Lake and wine country, easy living, retirement. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I guess it was in the last month or so. Yeah. Uh, the column of a normally quiet neighborhood turned upside down because of a dispute over a garbage can. And it could lead to firearms charges. Sears Jules Knox. With their guns drawn, police swarmed this neighborhood in Kelowna's hospital area just after 7.30 Friday morning responding to a report of a man with a firearm. We saw a first cop coming out of his car and obviously grabbing his uh, AR-15 or whatever assault rifle that they've been using. A second cop car came in and now they had a 12-gauge gun. So obviously we realized that they were preparing for something. Four cop cars, one cop. Uh, female cop pulled the M16 out of her trunk. This all taking place allegedly because of a neighborly dispute over garbage cans. At the scene, signs of the festering feud asking a neighbor to stop putting bins in front of this house. Blocks are parking as well as we've continuously had to pick up their garbage because it never makes it in the garbage. We've had this dispute for the last three, three or four weeks and we've asked them nicely. So Darian Repchuk wrote this sign and left it out ahead of garbage day. And then... I was at work and my husband called me. He's basically, he was getting ready for work. There was a knock at the door and he said, Honey, there, I just got a gun pointed at my head. Repchuk rushed home in disbelief. Way out of proportion. Like, a nice conversation and an argument like would have been fine and get it all dealt with. But having a shotgun pulled... Police say a 24-year-old man was taken into custody and could be charged with pointing a firearm, uttering threats, and careless use of a firearm. As for Repchuk... I want him to get charged, I want him to go to court, and I want him gone. She says she no longer feels safe in her neighbourhood. 
Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. That's like the third major gun incident, or I don't know how major this one is. It's a threat with a gun, but you had those four shootings in Penticton a couple of weeks ago. You had that murder inside a church in Salmon Arm a few days before that. I don't know. They, they like their guns in the in the Okanagan, apparently. Jeff Forche? How are your neighbors in your new apartment? <laughs> oh, actually, I, I got a little bit of a story. So uh, yesterday, I'm wearing headphones and listening to podcasts, and all of a sudden I hear a BAM! A door slams, and I'm going, what the heck? Anyway, so I had to go out, and I had to buy some toothpaste, so I go to the elevators, and there's a note saying, yeah, slam the door louder, will ya? And I was like, oh, well, somebody's on mad. On your some- door? No, no, on the, right by the elevators. Okay. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, kind of to everyone. The note was directed to everyone. Mm-hmm. They're like, who's slamming the door angry? So anyways, I get back home, and I'm doing dishes, listening to another podcast, and I have my... Uh, <laughs> so many podcasts. I like your details. <laughs> the historic podcast, of yeah, course. Of course. But uh, So I have my balcony door open, I have my bedroom window open, and I guess because of the wind, my bedroom door slams shut. <laughs> and I'm going, no! Like, I'm going to be the idiot neighbor slamming the door around here. It wasn't my fault, it was the wind. So was it you the whole time? No, no, no. Somebody, okay. somebody out, out, out that my hallway slammed the door. Though, that would be Jeff great, for like weeks just has wind. just been teeing off his neighbors by <laughs> having this door slam nonstop. He's You're, clueless with his headphones on. Did you put up a note on the uh, elevator apologizing for your wind slammed door? <laughs> oh, no, I hit out. It was hit out. I hit out. <laughs> I went into hiding. So what do you, what do you, it is a great conversation though because what do you do when you have a problem with your neighbor especially like I'm yeah. always been reluctant to go talk to a neighbor that I've got a gripe with usually for me it's if a neighbor has a barking dog mm-hmm. um, and I've wanted I've like marched across the street to knock on someone's door and then pulled back because a I didn't know what the person looked like and b because of this kind of thing you never know what someone's going to do if you go over there and try to confront them well the barking dogs are a, a weird one because i'm always you know when it hap- when it used to happen where i used to live in the middle of the night i'd be like they hear that right like how are they sleeping how is everybody not super upset about this but people treat you know their dogs are like their kids so it'd be like me walking over saying like your kids annoy me right so i don't know how you deal with that i always found in living in an apartment my biggest beef was when you had shared laundry and people wouldn't come and remove their stuff quickly enough. But then if I pulled, you know, you'd wait. I didn't know what the appropriate time. So you wait like 15 minutes, go back. Stuff is still all dry in the dryer. And you're like, forget it. I'm pulling this stuff out, putting it on top of the dryer and putting my stuff in. And I have had people say, why are you touching my stuff? And it's like, I don't want to touch your underwear anymore. But get it oh. out of the dryer, right? Yeah, I had a neighbor who uh, was waiting angrily by the by the dryer for me to remove my stuff because I was a minute late. Like I set, I put the stuff in. I set my alarm for sixty minutes, and I was down there sixty-one minutes later. And this woman was just steaming mad. And I said, "Oh, hello there." And she just was like shaking her head at me. And uh, I thought, well, whatever. And so the next time I came down and I pulled my stuff out a minute early, and then I kind of realized, well, that wasn't helpful at all because... There's no, way to, to there's no way to reset the cycle. Yeah. She's got to close the door and yeah. just let it run its course. So, uh, But yeah, the, the community laundry can be a problem. Yeah, I was never a fan of the community laundry. You got that good was, neighbors where you are? Uh, yeah, because they're listening. So yeah, yeah. great <laughs> neighbors where I am. And I found mostly just over the years when it, when there is a trouble neighbor, and they're all, it's going to pop up every now and then for your entire life, so you got to have try to have some patience about it and i found that if you most times you can sort of wait it out and it the problems tend to correct themselves like sooner or later a 
they'll stop their barking dog eventually. Right? I have called the city on a neighbor that did that once because he was huge. And the dog barked a lot, and I was like, "I'm not." The dog was this huge, guy. or the person? <laughs> Both. Uh, you just and, were like, and "I'm the not." The guy was this. mean to the dog. He okay. screamed at it constantly, but when he wasn't home, the dog just barked nonstop. See, and so he probably didn't know that the dog was barking when he wasn't home. Yeah, but still, how would you know exactly? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I found uh, like this story in BC that I was expecting them to say, you know, for. Four months they had this problem, and then the guns came out. But after three weeks, if you're willing to point a gun at somebody, you need uh, you need I help. Talk about overreacting. Yeah. I know people, and I have heard stories of like that property line is so key to them. Ugh. And if you step an inch over or mow your grass a centimeter over or your snow, and next thing you know, they're out. They're like, can you put your snow in your own yard? You're like, oh, my snow? Like, I didn't know we were at a, <laughs> our own snow in this town. Okay. I remember helping a, a friend of people. mine move a shed, a huge shed, <laughs> one and a half inches. Right. Because the neighbor behind didn't like where it was. There was no fence. Oh, boy. Just didn't like where it was. High school students from across Canada are gathering in Winnipeg this week to put their critical thinking skills to the test. It's the first ever Canadian high school ethics bowl and the goal is to not only teach teens how to debate but to maybe challenge their own ideas on some pretty controversial topics nova martin is a grade 12 student from kelvin high school and joins us now good morning nova good morning so start at the beginning what on earth is an ethics bowl well an ethics bowl is it's um an event where two teams sorry discuss an ethical dilemma So Team A and Team B both have to work together to explore all the permutations of a given case. So, for example, there might be a case dealing with environmental issues. Students have to examine um, everything that goes into that. What are the impacts on the environment? What are the the political impacts? Which communities get affected? So it's not really like a debate where there's two sides taking opposing stances. It's both sides working together to come to a similar conclusion. May I propose that you put on the table what should Canada do with those hundred containers of garbage that have been sitting in the Philippines for six years? It might be an interesting discussion, but this sounds very fascinating. And the idea that you're not debating, you used to love debate club and and uh, the, the, the things that would go on there, but you're actually working together in order to come up with eventually some sort of joint policy. How, how do you wind up and how do you know that uh, that you're finished. Um, well, we get a well. It's, there's a time limit on each round, so okay. we have about five minutes to present a case, and then another minute or three minutes for the other team to present additions to what the first team said, and then there's another three minutes to just wrap it up. Say this is what we've concluded. This is what we've come to. You know, we have conversations all the time here about our own children, uh, Nova, or, or what we con- the concerns that we have mm-hmm. out there. Because with the internet these days, you can find answers on anything. And you're thinking, I don't know if kids these days are learning how to critically assess the situation. This uh, leads me to believe that you're learning all sorts of skills. Why do you think this is important? Has it helped change your views on anything? Oh, definitely. It has definitely helped change my views. Uh, it's important to not just think critically think of your own opinions and your own beliefs and your own research, but also inquire other people, inquire what do they bring to the table. So it's it's not only teaching you to think critically about yourself, but think critically about others and to think about what what more can I learn about this issue than I already know? How best can I understand the different ways of exploring a topic? What are the consequences? What are the positives and whatnot? How much time do you get to prepare? Oh, well, um, to prepare beforehand at the 
at the tournament or prepare in general? Yeah, like do you know, do you know going into the tournament what you're going to be talking about, or do you get there and then do they say, okay, you're going to be talking about the Philippines? You have five minutes. Go. Uh, we we we're given the cases ahead of time, so we're given ten different cases with different preambles and different. Um, different pieces of information, and we, it's up to us to discuss it, to research it. And then on the day of the competition, based off of everything we've prepared, we're given a question, and we have to answer that question. No, no. Go ahead, Nova. Finish up. Uh, sorry. We don't know the question beforehand. So uh, this is all really neat stuff. We see in social media how quickly things can go off the rails in terms of our responses to other people's uh, ideals and, and their, their opinion on different uh, topics. Does it stay respectful? It stays very <laughs> respectful. The first, the, the most important thing is that we don't come out of it as the two teams being enemies, but the two teams being friends. We learn from each other and we're encouraged to discuss in a very mutual manner with one another. But is there a winner? Is this <laughs> a competition? This is what I, I must know. Is there a winner? Technically, yes, but that should not be the goal. The goal is to just explore the cases given to us. So you're not, more, you don't run around saying, ha ha, we won, you're dumb. And then, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we go out of around saying, good job, those were really great points you brought up, or oh, I didn't think about that, thanks for bringing that up, or wow, you've really shown a light on how complex this issue is. That sounds like hockey cliches. It sounds like you've been practicing those <laughs> to make sure that you, you come across the way you should. I love it, Nova. Thanks yeah. for doing this with us this morning. You're welcome. Thank you. That is Nova Martin joining us live on 680 CJOB, Kelvin High School student as part of the very first ethics bowl, the high school ethics bowl. And it's actually the Winnipeg is going to be the permanent site of this national competition. So that's pretty cool. Eight yeah. schools from Manitoba and BC are going to face, or pardon me, on Thursday, eight schools from Manitoba and BC will face off in judged rounds that continue all day. And uh, yeah, this is really neat. That's yeah. at the Museum for Human Rights. At Canadian Museum for Human Rights. And I also think, you know, in these conversations we're having even here this morning, we started with the Social Planning Council and the push by the mayor to, for them to uh, cancel an event with a controversial speaker. And then we moved into the question about why are we shipping garbage to the Philippines and these are all things that don't have a, a clear black or white answer to them, right? There's so much gray there, and they come back to not just laws, but maybe ethics. And I think that's great that the kids, well, he sounds more like an adult. He, I'd like to have him at the supper table uh, debating with, not debating, challenging. See? <laughs> it's not a competition, not a com- Oh, boy, I don't know. But he was great. Loren would make it a competition. I would. Pounding Somehow, the table. You are wrong. <laughs> You're dumb. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb going to take a couple of minutes to talk about this. I used to have nothing. And then I got this family. In five days. We owe it to everyone we lost to take a stand. Where's the Avengers? We gotta finish this. This is the fight of our lives. Every journey has an end. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I miss that giddy optimism. Avengers Endgame. Rated PG-13. Everywhere Friday. Yeah, it's not five days. I just thought that ad sounded really cool. It actually opens tomorrow night, officially on Friday, but it opens tomorrow night. I will be there at 6 p.m. Tomorrow night. Oh, boy. Yeah. So So you will be in a good mood Friday. I I hope to be bouncing off the walls on Friday morning. How long is this movie? Is it like three hours? Six years. (laughs) 
It's well, it's been it's, the making. Ten years in the making, but yeah. yeah, it's three hours long. So I need to go to runp.com to see if I can plan my uh, bathroom breaks whoa, whoa, accordingly. Whoa. Excuse me, runp. Yes, it's a it's a website. It's a service that tells you what the best times to go to the bathroom during a movie. Although <laughs> the app actually is now it's now a paid app, uh, so I didn't bother. I don't know if the website still works. Like you would in advance go and it would say at this minute. Yep. Run and or it does it your, alert you? Like you can, can you set you, it you and it would be like alerts. P P P P yeah. P. You could set alerts and it would also tell you the best spots to go. And at a three hour movie, I know I'm going to need a break, but I don't know when I want to go because I've been waiting this movie for ten years and the reviews finally arrived yesterday. Rotten Tomatoes finally lifted their embargo and just a couple of the headlines here. And we already got a text message saying, no spoilers allowed in Endgame. People are very excited for this. Don't worry, I will not spoil this. But there's just I'll read one just headline of a review. This is from Peter Scaretta from Film Magazine. Imagine the best possible version of Avengers Endgame and somehow the film still surpasses all expectations. Wow, oh, that's insane. Yeah, that and that is and all of the headlines are similar to this. This can't be understated. Avengers Endgame is everything you want it to be and more. I am absolutely floored. And movie critics often go out of their way to show how unimpressed they are with mm-hmm. stuff for them. Especially I think with stuff like this yeah. when there's been this sort of mounting Sure. Not to speculation oh, the and the hype. Thank yeah. you. It's so to, to see these headlines uh, gives me relief because I was scared that they might screw it up. Right? We've all of the fans have been waiting so long for this. It's going to be the big, one of the biggest movies ever. Well, it's already uh, on track to be the biggest opening. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't crack three hundred million dollars this weekend, That's I'll be surprised. And it's called Endgame. Avengers Endgame. Uh, I might want to go and see this. It might be the only game where a Winnipeg team can't lose in the end. <laughs> Does this have a Hemsworth in it? All the Hemsworths? Uh, Chris Hemsworth. He is the mighty Thor. All of them? One of them, all of them. They're all, they all could be, they, they, li- they're great. You like the Hemsworth? Sure, who doesn't? <laughs> it's warm in here all of a sudden. <laughs> so I'll Easy. have a review of Avengers game, Endgame Friday morning that will be spoiler free. We want to turn our attention south of the border now to Florida, where one Mr. Kelly Moore joins us live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Kelly. Well, I'm sure glad I didn't go for that listed alligator bag on Kijiji here in Sarasota. <laughs> what if it was a real alligator, Kelly? Then what would you do? That would be frightening. Yeah, I think it probably was, and they were trying to get an unsuspecting Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Don Johnson have a pet alligator in Miami Vice? I think his name was Elvis. Uh, hey, a uh, name that some people might be familiar with is in the Blue Bomber free agent camp in Florida, former Dallas Cowboy. Tell us a story about lucky or unlucky, in his case, Whitehead, Kelly. Yeah, his name really jumps off the page, guys, uh, of the 40 or so free agents who are on the roster. They're actually in about two hours from now, I think, uh, going to hit the field for their first workout. But Lucky Whitehead, uh, he is a little speedster. He played at Florida Atlantic University. He's 5'9", 180 pounds, and he had a dazzling debut with the Dallas Cowboys and even returned to kickoff 101 yards in a preseason game, the first ever one played in the return to the L.A. College. See him. So he certainly has good credentials. But in July of or June of 2017, rather, uh, the story came out that he had been charged with shoplifting in Prince William, Virginia. Well, as it turned out, Lucky Whitehead was actually still in Dallas when that happened. It was a guy who stole his identity. 
That did not prevent the Cowboys from releasing him, and uh, he did try to catch on with the New York Jets last year. That didn't pan out for him. So he is here with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And there's another interesting story about unlucky whitehead guys. His dog, Blitz, was actually kidnapped and held for $10,000 ransom, if you can believe it. Uh, Lucky actually uh, was able to get the dog back, paid an undisclosed amount, but uh, assures everybody it was not for $10,000. Wow, uh, some incredible stories already, and we haven't even, as you mentioned, hit the field yet. So, Kelly, historically, has this been something that has benefited the Blue Bombers in, in terms of unearthing some otherwise unsigned talent? Well, certainly you go back a few years ago, Greg, and uh, it was uh, Maurice Leggett uh, was one of the players they discovered at a free agent camp. More recently, guys like Brandon Alexander, Jovan Santos-Knox, Marcus Sales, they have all come out of this camp, and uh, it's primarily receivers and defensive backs. As Kyle Walters was explaining on the sports show last night with Christian O'Mell, uh, because they don't have padded workouts here, it really doesn't benefit uh, the team or the position players to have anybody on the O-lines or the D-lines. They only have a couple of quarterbacks, including one off of their negotiation list by the name of Brian Shore. And, you know, talk about the, uh, the bad luck scenario. Brian Shore leads his team to a championship in the FCS. That's one step down below the NCAA. But he leads his team to a championship one year, and then they lose to North Dakota State the next. So you think, okay, the world's going to be his oyster. What's the guy doing about six months later? Selling insurance, for hmm. goodness sakes. So uh, there are so many different backstories uh, to all these guys. But primarily, though, they'll be looking for speed and athleticism uh, with a roster that's top-heavy with defensive backs and receivers. And I guess it's just a coincidence that those are two areas the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are also looking to beef up on. Do they make decisions within the next 48 hours? Like, on, when, as soon as this wraps, are those players told, yep, they're coming to Canada or not? Yeah, it's fairly quickly because uh, by the end of the month, uh, I can't remember the exact date and time. I'll get that uh, for sure from the uh, Bomber Brain Thrust. But uh, they have to declare their 75-player roster for the start of rookie camp. And so uh, these these players, and they figure they're going to have about 20 spots available. So whoever shines here uh, is going to have an excellent opportunity. Of course, kind of hanging over proceedings like a dark cloud are the uncertain negotiations for the new collective bargaining, uh, bargaining agreement. And that's why the Bombers are actually here in Florida. Kyle Walters was explaining the other day uh, they would normally hold this free agent camp in Winnipeg like they have for the last few years. And they would also have a few veterans here. But because of the CBA uh, coming up uh, and, and no one knowing for sure when the negotiations are going to be complete, they uh, have all rookies here. And uh, they're doing it here as well uh, and not in Canada. Kelly Moore joining us live from Blue Bomber Free Agent Camp in Florida. (laughs) He'll be there all week. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it, sir. All right. And, hey, I just noticed, uh, Brett, on on Hit on Kijiji, there's a new Hitman uh, T-shirt that you might want to take a look at. Oh, is it Brett the Hitman Hart or the Calgary Hitman? Uh, No, it's Brett the Hitman McGarry, but you have to... (laughs) You have to come after dark. Okay. Oh, that sounds like a that sounds like a real steal. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Send me the link. I'll get on grown. that. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and the mayor. Brian Bowman joining us live in studio. That's the sound of his music. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Thank you. 
Well, we've been talking. Wake everybody up. It does wake us up. We were just talking about things we do to wake us up. Coffee's mine. Yeah. Everybody else here doesn't drink coffee. No uh, five-hour energy drink for me no. this morning. You saw that on the bench the last yeah, night. Yeah, Eric Carlson, just before the overtime between the Sharks and the Golden Knights, down the miniature five-hour energy drink to to get uh, himself a little bit of a boost. You see the the players doing the smelling salts, but uh, yeah, there there is a line that the NHL will allow, and uh, we determine there's a line in this room as well. <laughs> yes, mine's coffee, not a five-hour energy exercise drink. in the morning. I, I've never had a Red Bull. It, it kind of scares me a Don't. bit in terms of my heart rate. They're no, good. Happen. They're no good for you. Well, we're talking about yeah. a line, and we're talking yeah. about a line that you think that uh, a local Winnipeg group has crossed when yeah. it comes to inviting Linda Sarser, a well-known, controversial American activist. Yeah. You said yesterday you want the Social Planning Council to remove her from this list of panelists because of her uh, what's believed to be anti-Semitic remarks, or at least anti-Israel. Why yeah. are you waiting? Weighing in on this when it when it's not a city sanctioned event, it's got nothing yep. to do with city hall. Why why are you in in mayors asserting yourself? Uh, mayors across Canada and and around the world are increasingly speaking out in the in the global context that we're living in right now, where you have racialized identity politics becoming uh, the norm. Sadly, and uh, you know we've seen mayors across Canada, myself included, in the past speak out when identifiable groups, whether they're Christians, Jews. Indigenous peoples, uh, members of our uh, our Muslim community, uh, I have uh, often spoken out in defense of uh, of groups that are being marginalized or stigmatized, and uh, speaking out against hate. Uh, I've done it before. I'll continue to do so. My first preference was to to have a, a private discussion with the Social Planning Council, and I did that over a week ago, just to appeal to them to say, look, I mean, the the comments and the positions attributed to the speaker deeply offend members of Winnipeg's Jewish community. The leadership of our Jewish community represented through the Jewish Federation of Winnipeg and B'nai B'rith Canada uh, have also had privately appealed to the Social Planning Council. Uh, unfortunately, those appeals were uh, were largely, well, they've, they've been ignored to date. Can you buy and, the, their argument that it's part of a good debate, that to bring her in would allow a dialogue to continue, however controversial it may be? In a free and democratic society, um, you know, right to free speech is something that we value and, and absolutely um, people are entitled. In fact, it what, it's what makes our democracy work is by having uh, the, the, the ability to express your opinions as I'm doing now and as members of our Jewish community and uh, are, are expressing those concerns. Um, I, th- I think the, you know, the, the fact that those appeals uh, have fallen on deaf ears by the Social Planning Council says a lot more about the Social Planning Council than it does this particular speaker. I mean, this particular speaker has made very controversial, uh, has taken very controversial positions. Um, they are clearly um, anti-Zionists. I mean, uh, Canada supports the right of the state of Israel to exist, as I do. And um, and I'll, I'll continue to to support the state of Israel. It's a democracy in a region that doesn't uh, doesn't have a lot of democracies. And so, um, you know, the the views and the positions. Um, if if listeners do uh, a little bit of research, you can see why members of our Jewish community feel um, their views are anti-Semitic. And so, when you have individuals, whether they're white nationalists or others that are coming to Winnipeg, I've spoken out before, and and I'll continue to speak out in defense of of Winnipegers who. Uh, I believe rightfully have concerns, and we've simply appealed to the Social Planning Council to do the right thing. They can continue to have their uh, uh, their forum. They've got a couple uh, really in- incredible speakers also lined up, and uh, the debate that they're trying to facilitate is on a topic that I think is is obviously worthy of discussion. It's not on the Middle East or anything like that, but this particular speaker is is one that 
um, that has deeply offended members of our Jewish community. They've appealed to me and I've listened and I've previously communicated directly with the Social Planning Council. My preference would have been not to be discussing this in the media and and really highlighting it uh, as, a, as a panel that's are coming up. Are you additionally sensitive, or perhaps we are, you know, a few years ago we were given that controversial label as well, being the most racist city in Canada, and and I wonder if we've made any inroads on shedding that label, and is this part of it in your view of showing? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it, it's absolutely part of our journey to reconciliation and, uh, and our journey to become an international leader in, in uh, the protection and promotion of human rights. Uh, this is something that's part of my mandate and something but that I'm working hard. are we better today hard. than we were Three years ago, I think we have. We're we're having conversations like this that uh, in the past may have been glossed over. And uh, there's a lot of good work happening right now in the city, uh, not just at City Hall in terms of human rights, but in the broader community. And that's something that um, I know all Winnipeggers appreciate. But we we can't be afraid to call out hate when when it's occurring and when identifiable groups in our community again. Doesn't matter if they're members of our Jewish community, or Christian community, or Islamic community, or Indigenous community. Um, that's increasingly the role of mayors across Canada. And if you look to mayors like Mayor Nenshi in Calgary, Don Iveson, uh, John Tory, and others, we we haven't been afraid to to call out hate when we see it in our communities. I think we could uh, very easily do this entire segment on this topic yeah. alone, but I want to get to something that's happening at City Hall. Yeah. The $40 million that's coming to the city of Winnipeg and that increased funding from the federal gasoline tax where do you see that vote playing out? We're starting to hear a, a little bit of dissension in terms of when to spend that money, where to put that money, and exactly where that vote will go. What's your feeling on that, Mayor Bowman? Well, we'll have to see. Tomorrow, uh, council will be voting on that. I mean, thankfully, the the federal government um, doubled or did a one-time doubling of the gas tax transfer, and it's a time when we're dealing with a $40 million shortfall in last year's roads budget from this provincial government. And so the timing is... Uh, is really helpful to us, and we we obviously appreciate it. Um, my priority is roads. Um, I'd like to see the the majority of that money spent on roads, on road safety, as well as some active transportation investments. But ultimately, council will decide tomorrow. And um, you know that's that's part of uh, part of city hall processes. We're going to have a debate about that, and councillors, as is their right, are going to be expressing their views. Some don't see roads as their priority, and that's uh, you know they're entitled to to those views. And we'll have a debate on on that basis. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live in studio on 680 CJOB. Mr. Mayor, thank you for the visit as always. Thanks. Have a great day. Brent McNabb, we are once again joined in studio by Global's Amber McGookin. Good morning, Amber. Good morning. Pretty uh, compelling series Amber's putting together for uh, Winnipeggers and Manitobans to read this week. We started yesterday talking about domestic violence and that staggering number that 16,000 calls a year are attributed to domestic violence. This morning we're hearing from a woman who spent how long in an abusive relationship? Yeah, she was with him for two years total, and she said at the beginning it wasn't abusive. She said it was happy, she was falling in love with him, it was positive, he was loving, and then it slowly progressed. And um, she kind of she talked about some of those red flags, warning signs that she didn't pay too much attention to. He had anger. Um, he would slowly ask her, you know, who are you talking to on your phone? And, you know, if she'd be home later than, than he thought, she would ask questions or why are you wearing makeup, what those clothes, who are you dressing up for? It started with those questioning. And then it became more and more monitoring. And then it grew to more control and more control. So financial control and then eventually physical abuse as well. The story that's at uh, globalnews.ca and cjob.com starts with this woman who we're calling Jessica saying she will never forget the first time that she was punched in the face. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had, she even told me, which was heartbreaking, that she doesn't know how many times she was physically abused. She lost count. It was so frequently. And she said it would, you couldn't ever gauge how it was going to happen because she said sometimes he would be nicer. Sometimes, you know, things would just set him off and she couldn't really gauge how to react to him all the time. So it was a very stressful situation for her for those, for most of the two years she was in that relationship. Why didn't she leave? Well, you know, these types of relationships are obviously extremely complicated. And she said she slowly had her self-esteem eroded to the point where she didn't think that, you know, she had much value. She didn't know what was next for her. And and with the financial control, it made it more difficult. She didn't realize what she had rights to in, in a sense of where your money, um, whose money is whose. And she didn't have access to funds. And slowly and slowly, he kept her away from more and more people. So, you know, the people that were her support systems you know, she was more and more isolated from them and, and it was harder to leave. I think these types of relationships are very tricky for people to get out of. And even she said she clung to the hope that he would be that person at the beginning. I was going to say, did he say things like, you know, I'm sorry, I'll do better. And then that leads you to believe the change is coming. And mm-hmm. you think and you you hang on that because if you did have a good start to the relationship, I think that it's pretty human for all of us to convince ourselves well, they were kind once. They were good to me once. I don't think that's any different than any regular relationship that sort of goes mm-hmm. s- sideways and, and mm-hmm. things that don't go well. You think about the good times and think, well, maybe we can recapture that. Yeah. And so it, it, it's doubly uh, inviting when you the word you used there was isolation. And mm-hmm. the other word that's coming to my mind is grooming. Mm-hmm. As you know, as it pertains to this, that these are people that 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 are really trying to create a situation where they are in complete control. Oh, absolutely, and yeah, there was a lot of those comments like, "I'll I'll change. I'm sorry. It'll get better." And those apologies she clung to in those moments that she had hope again that he would be he would change for the better, and especially because she had seen that side of him, and she said it wasn't all bad. Like it is a cycle, and things you know I had to learn how the cycle works, but it's like you know. Starts out and there's calm, and then there's an incident, and then there's that the the fixing of the relationship, and then there's like another calm phase. So it's kind of this this whole cycle that she was just looped into constantly. So you have those positive moments even when there's bad moments too, because they're just it's just this cycle she was trapped into. You had mentioned uh, earlier in our conversations that people in her life were aware that something mm-hmm. wasn't right. Uh, but nobody reached out either to say you need to get out of that relationship. Is that mm-hmm. a fair way to paraphrase that? Yeah, for sure. Until the end, like she told me there were times where you know she would cover her face with makeup before she would see people. And, and then the two of them would have to come up with situations as to why this happened. Maybe she fell or something like that. So people were aware that there was something off. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people, if they think about people they know they might have seen things in a in another couple that they go okay well th- that was something off about that situation and i think people are maybe nervous to speak up and nervous to say something and she said i think that isolated her more because she didn't have that validation as to what was going on was wrong and um so finally in the end actually what pushed her to leave was a friend who spoke up and said there's something wrong here and if you want to leave i'm here to support you and that was a big game changer for her to feel validated again that what she was experiencing wasn't right and there there were options for her did she have to plan her departure carefully like did she have to sort of sort of plan an escape while he wasn't there 
She she did plan an escape and she did end up going to a shelter. There's a shelter called Willow Place that I interview for this series as well. You'll you'll hear from them later on in the series. But they're a shelter where, you know, their address is not listed online. You cannot find them. It's all private and you are safe there. You've they've they help eight hundred women and children every single year for shelter space in Winnipeg and another 400, I believe it's 400 for just counseling services on top of that. So they're helping so many people and it's all private. It's all, um, you know, free services for people. So there are options for people and that's how she ended up getting the support. And, you know, not everyone has the option to, you know, rent a hotel room or go stay with other people. And or if friends. your family's not listening either, you might, right. you might say, well, I don't believe you or he wouldn't do that mm-hmm. or she wouldn't do that. Right. And they leave you in a position mm-hmm. of vulnerability. It's also safer to be um, somewhere for, for where no one else would link you to. So this place is um, perfectly, it's, it's very, you know, well, um, hidden and and it's 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 a great space for and people. Certainly not looking for you to reveal where it is, but if you are like say you you're looking to get out immediately and you want to go to a place like that and it's not listed, how do you find it? Mm-hmm. How do you find Willow Place? If you go to their website, they've got phone numbers, they've got information how you can contact them, and then they can uh, help coordinate for you to get there. And you know they don't always have spaces in rooms. Like when I was there to visit, there was one room available, and um, that was just the only reason I was able to get in to get video of this. Space because there was just one room but we don't know when that room would be filled up but but yeah it is it, it all their information is on their website so willow place amber mcgookin joining us live on 680 cjob and once again you can read more at globalnews.ca slash winnipeg or cjob.com winnipeg woman shares her experience living in a relationship with domestic violence part of amber's four-part series on domestic violence this week amber thank you for coming to tell us about this we appreciate it thank you guys For the second time this month, RCMP are investigating a homicide at Stony Mountain Institution. This most recent death happened sometime Monday night, and it's now raising questions with staff at Stony Mountain about a rise in violence or a potential rise in violence at the prison, which is just north of Winnipeg. James Bloomfield is the Prairie Regional President with the Union of Canadian Correctional Officers. He also works at Stony Mountain and joins us now. Good morning, James. Good morning. So when it comes to incidents like this and violence at the prison or institution, are you seeing more? Yes, we definitely are. Um, the, the, the violence has been on the increase for uh, a couple of years now, uh, on a slow rise, and we expect it to continue. Do we know what's at the core of this? Uh, gang, uh, gang relationships uh, seem to be at the heart, at least from the outside looking in and, and based on what we hear. But in your perspective, what, what is creating this situation and the, the tension within the penitentiary? Well, realistically, it's a multitude of factors that are just combining all at the same time here. Um, we've recently had a court decision which changed the way in which we do segregation in this country. So, um, that has been found to be unconstitutional and passed, and we've been left with a, with a gap. It's kind of like a vacuum hole with nothing in place of it. Uh, so we're in a position right now where the repercussions are, are very, uh, very minimal inside for any uh, negative actions from the populations. But when it comes down to this type of thing, this is obviously a lot more than just um, and then just breaking some rules or an all-out sort of unrest with so many uh, so many changes going on at the same time. When you have five murders in 16 months in one building, there's definitely a problem. 
Um, this is not normal for any workplace of any sort. And even within a federal facility, this is definitely not normal. Yeah, isn't prison, um, isn't prison already an in a potentially violent place, given the, the people who are truly, inside? Yeah, it truly is. It's, it's realistically a very violent place uh, when you look at the, the amount of incidents that we have, uh, assaults on staff, assaults inmate upon inmate. Um, it really, the numbers are, are quite staggering. And uh, the Office of the Correctional Investigator has also reports that not only have they seen a rise in numbers over the last couple of years, but they expect this, this to continue uh, in the next couple of years as well, the rise in violence towards staff and towards uh, inmate on inmate. How concerning and, is that for you and for your people, you know, just to work there? You know, it's, it's extremely concerning. Um, you know, normally it's, it's such a weird thing to, to consider, but, you know, if, if you had a murder in your workplace and a couple of days ago, it's not like you'd be there right now normally in, in a really in a regular work environment. We've got five and 16 months in, in my workplace, and uh, that is a lot to deal with mentally, physically, just all out the whole environment itself is really in, in a different place right now based on what's been going on. So we're very concerned this is going to continue. And, and you're right, the gangs do have a big play in this. Um, we run anywhere from, you know, it depends on the day, but you can have anywhere from 30 to 40 active gangs within Stony Mountain Institution, which is really weird to think about, but that's the true reality of the populations in that place. So James, um, obviously the workplace safety for your members and for those doing the same job as you is one thing, but also the, there's safety of the individuals inside the penitentiary as well, those that are inmates. I think a lot of people in the public kind of shrug their shoulders, quite frankly, when they hear a story like this. Yeah, okay, well, you're on the inside, but let's face it, uh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. No, that's true. It's Yes, it is a violent place. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they do whatever they do to get in there. And there, there can be an extreme crime. There could be something that's, you know, a cumulative crime. Either way, each individual still has the right to a safe environment, and we have to provide them with that. When it comes down to the gangs and it comes down to these types of incidents and the amount of assaults and, and, uh, and problems that we've seen over the last while here, it really comes down to, you know, it's a combination of all those factors hitting at one point, and we really don't have anywhere to separate people. So when it comes down to it, and we have individuals that don't want to be in these populations, and they will fight like crazy to stay out of them into a segregation area, those individuals have no place to be right now. So we're mixing people in populations that truly shouldn't be there. Um, the cascading effect of our of our uh, security levels being like maximum, medium, minimum, the idea of the service is always to try to get that inmate to the lowest level possible. And that all, all of that combined really results in stuff like this and... You know, we're working to try to help with the mental stability and the mental health of our officers because we are at 36% PTSD rates right now, which is higher than any other occupation ever recorded. So it's it's quite a quite a hit to us. And uh, as we look at this, and yeah, the general public can sort of blow it off as, as a bunch of, you know, it's inmates that's out of my world. Um, at this point, it is in my world. And it's with the world of people that live around them on the streets that are working there and that have to deal with this face-to-face. And we're trying to ensure that those officers have the support that they need and uh, and the treatment as they go forward for any mental health injuries due to stuff like this. James Bloomfield is the Prairie Regional President with the Union of Canadian Correctional Officers joining us live on 680 CJOB. James, thank you for this. We appreciate it. No, I really uh, appreciate the, uh, the time, guys. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough about the officers and the job they do under these circumstances. Um, I feel for the inmates' family when we do lose a life, but the reality is my focus is on the officers and uh, their ability for them to work in a safe environment. And 
we're hoping to improve that every day as we go along here, but it's very challenging. All right. Thanks very much, James. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb coming up in our next segment. We have tickets to give away for Hot Wheels Monster Trucks Live. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. See, I, I figured our guest would have the most fun with the monster trucks if we paired a contest in at the same time. Brett just this morning said, which one do you think she's going to have more fun with? And then there, you answered it. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We'll send you a, sell you the whole seat, yeah, but you'll yeah. only need the edge. <laughs> Larry yeah. is here. Trans Crusher, that's my truck. Winnipeg Smash Comedy him. Festival, April 28th to May 4th. Smash the patriarch. Club Regent <laughs> Event Center and uh, free parking. I hear we're having our own show over here. Huh? Free parking. I, I hear. don't wait. Free parking at yeah. Club Regent Event Center. Now, that's Larry, right. That's you, one of our key venues. You're performing on Monday, correct? Did I get that right? That is, yeah, I'm performing on Monday and then uh, on a show called Your Hood's a Joke, which I think I talked about um, before. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're discussing the uh, Winnipeg Comedy Festival upcoming with Lara Ray, who is the artistic director. Welcome, Lara. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I just went through all that. <laughs> yes, I'm hosting a show called Lara and Friends on Wednesday, which is uh, some of my, because as you guys know, it's my last year. And so some of the people that, um, you know, we've had over the years that I just adore and are close friends like Sean Cullen, Sean Majumder, Nikki Payne. Tim Stevens and so on. But to answer your question, on Monday night, yes, we have a show called Your Hood's a Joke. And we don't have debaters this year, so anyone who likes a kind of debating, going at it style will love this show because it's people debating not uh, topics but neighborhoods. Like Winnipeg neighborhoods? Winnipeg neighborhoods, oh, countries. Yes. Oh, like a throwdown of the Kildonans? A throwdown of the Kildonans, things like that, and also schools, U of M versus U of W. I... Want to take this in? When is it? Uh, this is Monday night at the gas station arts center. What time? What time? Uh, it's at seven o'clock. Oh, that's even come on by. I think I can manage that. Now, are you also part of a? There's something happening on Monday at the Millennium Library there at twelve fifteen, yes. and it's called eight nineteen point seven free comedy at the library. And I was racking my brain trying to figure it out. I was googling it, and it was when I google it, it it, it tries to tell you what the percentage well, means. And I, I can like I, I can I can help you. Uh, a library is a place where you have a whole bunch of books. You oh, see, is that and you can is? go and you can sign them out. Is it a and educate yourself. You, yes, you're right. Eight, yes, you're very clever. 819.7 is the general Dewey category That's the general. that includes humor, American humor, Canadian humor, stand up comedy. Love it. So, you, yeah. That, you see, you guys, oh my goodness. That is I'm, I'm so impressed. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so impressed. Don't know, to, if you're listening, take note of that. Just uh, And I'm just going to leave that with you. Take note of that because that <laughs> might come up again later this week. But, Lara, before we talk about the festival, we wanted to actually ask you about the top story at uh, CJOB.com right now. Canada unveils LGBTQ loony, but. Some gay rights advocates are not impressed. So do you have a take on this new coin? Why are they calling us loonies? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. That's the currency, Lara. <laughs> Don't be overly sensitive. It doesn't, it doesn't, fit, it doesn't suit you. I, uh, yes, here's what I would say. And I, 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 I concur with uh, the, the basic uh, thrust of it, which is that um, the decriminalization was not the end of uh, significant widespread uh, government-sanctioned oppression, including the targeting of queers in the civil service and the military based on a... Uh, utter fallacy that these people could be turned 
you know, for mm -hmm. espionage purposes and so on. This was demonstrated actually when the Soviet Union collapsed to be uh, demonstrably untrue. They actually did not target homosexuals. They targeted straight married men, you know, the old so-called honey trap, right? And so this was people's lives were ruined. Also, you know, um, there is a sense, uh, even if it's not intended, that when governments, you know, and their, you know, and their organizations like a mint, right, um, release uh, commemorations. Uh, they are for legislation as if this legislation was just d decided upon, you know, for the good of the, mm -hmm. the community rather than, you know, the good at, of the, a nation. At, the end, at the end of a fight, mm -hmm. you know, that went on for decades. Can you appreciate this? So it's it's in tribute to the 50th anniversary of decriminalization. Yes, of exactly. Yeah. Can you appreciate that that's worth acknowledging? But, but yeah, in the not, context I mean, what that, I love about this is yeah. an opportunity to have this conversation, sure. right, that, that rights... And obligations are a lot, an, an ongoing conversation, right? And that there is so much work to be done. You know, whether or not you pin it on the decriminalization or you pin it on, you know, the, the, the legislation around same-sex unions or whatever you want to do. Yeah, I mean, you're putting a little pin, you know, on a date and saying, I mean, I would like to look at it as a celebration of LGBT people being... LGBTQ, TTQ, you know, uh, the whole uh, community being uh, acknowledged uh, as, you know, as being worthy, you it, know, it, and in that way, it's quite, and the art is, is magnificent and beautiful, you know, and, and, and the piece, as a piece of art. The other one, and this will, this will get the phones lit up, you know, the, the, <laughs> the thing that on the other side of that, it's, you know, that it's a coin of the realm. And uh, it's never been demonstrated there's been a country that has been organized to promote the least among us, right? right? And so on the other side of it, you have a figurehead who represents uh, centuries of colonial mm. oppression, right? And the British in particular did a tremendous damage around the world in terms of actually criminalizing homosexuality and really kind of running over uh, ways of organizing communities and systems around the world that were much more diverse. And there's there's evidence of this everywhere. And countries that were colonized by the British. And then, you know, at the end of colonization, we see as a trend and pattern to some degree that homophobia, transphobia and stuff uh, arises more, more, more prominently in these communities because of these puritanical um, and specifically Victorian values that were transported around the world. So, so it's an opportunity in my mind then to, to recognize the fact that 50 years later we can have a conversation like the one we're having. Absolutely, yes. And you yes. can express what you've just expressed. I watched a documentary last night. Uh, it's a 10-year-old or 12-year-old documentary now recognizing the 50th anniversary of the desegregation of Central High School yes, in yeah. Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, guess what? Not much has really changed oh, in the 50 proms. years since. Yeah, there's segregated proms. There's segregated proms. Still, yeah. yeah. But so. that demarcation and that anniversary and recognition of that anniversary is an opportunity to say, hey, hold on. This isn't a celebration. This is an opportunity for us to say this is this is how little has changed. Yeah, it's like a demarcation. Right? You know, it's, a, yeah. it's a mark. It's a mark to say this is how far we've come. And this is how far we need to go. And now we can have those conversations exactly. more openly than, than obviously we could have 50 years ago or even 20 years ago. And the other thing that I think is paramount uh, and, and must be addressed anytime we're having conversations about how much work needs to be done is to acknowledge the work that has been done before and also to acknowledge the fact that what is not being discussed is whether commemorating 
you know, whether it's the best anniversary to pick any anniversary, it reflects an increase in the improvement of dignity for LGBTQ uh, people uh, is not worthy of demarcation. Nobody is really coming at this argument from a homophobic fashion. Why are we celebrating this? Mm-hmm. Because it's about them, right? I mean, I haven't heard that is a very low, low, low voice if it's if it's being you know raised at all. And so, really, we're talking about you know the things that we're talking about in some ways are superficial, right? They're really about is this the bad state to choose not that we should not celebrate legislation that improves the lives which of is something which is something to celebrate which is something in to itself. celebrate in itself, absolutely. Our guest. This I'm morning. sorry, I couldn't be more controversial on this one. <laughs> Lara Ray is our guest. <laughs> she is the artistic director of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, which is why we brought her here today. But we had to ask her about you that. You had to headline. ask me about that. And we thank, thank you, as always, for your honesty and insight in that. And we're going to continue our conversation and learn more about the Comedy Festival. And this is your, just as a tease, this is your last. This is my last year. Okay, so we'll my sad? final year. Um, yeah, yeah. Or I like, is sad. it kind of, you know, I've done my thing and I'm ready to... I've you, done my thing, you know, sometimes, uh, and then sometimes you just know when it's time to leave, you sure. know, and, uh, you know, you, sometimes you say it's time to go and, and you know. Lara, <laughs> when, when you started this comedy festival, you were Al Ray. That is correct. And a lot of people knew you as Al. They did. They and didn't so know. They <laughs> it's not their fault. Talk about going through this this major change transitioning in public in public yeah. yes talk yeah. about that well i didn't have a lot of choice right you well, know you did uh, well i i you, mean you could have removed i could have waited yeah or yeah. you could have removed yourself from or the, i could have removed myself right? if i had that yeah and that's often an economic choice you know i mean uh and it's hard to say had i had that economic choice that ability you know was how i knew university professors for example mm-hmm. take a sabbatical and then you come back and you go look Look at this, you know. I uh, I went through it, and also, I mean, I came out. Um, you know, there was an old back in the old Mad Men days. They would say someone came out of the closet faster than a Murphy bed, right? And boom! <laughs> so I came out. I came, I came out of the trans closet faster than a than a Murphy bed. You know, the the beds you open up, and so like I was. Yeah, I mean, I decided, and then I sent an email to work. You know, and so, and I was presenting even before I started hormones and and years before I had surgery. And so, you know, there was a, there was a bit of a, you know, a learning curve for a lot of people. And I mean, you know, hindsight, looking back and dealing with the hormone changes and stuff, I was, you know, I was in many ways quite unreasonable, you know, um, in my expectations, because as you said, people knew me and as a public person, they they knew of me, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm a different person. And I was very prickly and sensitive at first. I think I've gotten a slightly thicker skin, you know, as time passes. But it's it's certainly been quite interesting, you know. And uh, the biggest challenge, of course, was my relationship with the comedy festival audience, not mm-hmm. just as the artistic director. In what sense? Uh, like in terms of how they it, accepted or as understood? How they accepted me, not obviously as the artistic director, but as a performer, right? right? Because I did have that relationship as well. And did they at any point or still say, wait a minute, are you, didn't, didn't you used to be Al or, or how does that No, get I mean, people are quite uh, understanding of that now, right? I mean, but when I did my first gala, which was uh, three years ago, and this was the first time that people had seen me f- uh, on stage as a woman, um, I thought there's no question that they're going to be accepting and, you know, I'm probably going to come out and I'm going to get that round of applause uh, you know, that also impacts my decision and, uh, you know, um, 
shows enthusiasm for courage or whatever it is, but then you've got eight minutes, and if you're not funny, you know, that's it a big problem. It doesn't really matter. Because now, for the first time, I'm, I'm representational. I'm not just myself. Mm. I'm representing women. I'm representing the trans community. I'm representing the queer community. I'm representing anyone who wants to go ahead and do this. And so I realized as a comic, and, and it was great that I had transitioned, you know, 18 years after I had, or no, not 18, but 30 years after I'd started performing. So uh, I was smarter as a performer than as a new, you know, a new, a new newly minted woman. And so I thought the biggest thing you, you, you do as an artist is, is if, if you were a bit different is you have to kind of uh, get the audience on side. And you have to show them that you have a sense of humor about yourself, right? And so they did me up and I looked quite beautiful, but I was still early on in my transition and so on. So I walked out. The Pantages is a reasonably big room, right, that holds about 1,500 people. So if you're at the back, you know you're a bit far away. And so I came out and I thought, I actually thought of this the day of the show. I thought, I need that one line that says I'm still funny. I'm still this person inside that's still funny. And so I came out and I said, uh, they, they clapped and they cheered. And then I said, um, it's nice to be here. For those of you who don't know, uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to change my gender. And there was a little applause again. And then I said, um, for those of you at the back, uh, to female, right? And so, <laughs> so, so, so that, that got a huge, that oh, got a good. huge laugh, and you could almost—it was—I don't know if there's a word for this. There's a word now. I don't know if you know this. For you know, some rooms are—you know—people feel that some comedy rooms are a bit sensitive. They call it clapter, mm-hmm. right? Where people aren't actually laughing; they're just clapping along with thing virtue signaling, right? So, is there a version of people? Uh, laughing and sighing with relief at the same time right. because that's the air the la- almost gets released. The and, air yeah. gets released. Everyone's yeah. on the same page. Yeah. Let's just yeah. move forward. Now. And then I got into the first joke I wrote on transition, which is uh, which worked a little better before the legislation changed. But I would say I haven't been doing this very long, but I'm getting a distinct feeling that the uh, makeup is going to really start to cut into my weed money. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was my first joke I actually wrote. But I thought, but this this one just to clear the air was was really good you know and now now i've got a whole new act you know well and if you want to see more of lara ray you can see her at the winnipeg comedy festival it's april 28th to may 4th the website is winnipegcomedyfestival.com where you can see the full list of performers and the full schedule and we have it's a great support, indigenous show this year it's in support of the gas station arts center lara ray we're out of time but thank you very much for visiting us as always it's always you a can pleasure. go to our website and get all the information about our shows you know that right at, at winnipegcomedyfestival.com face cloth. I am trying to get some. We have a dirty show. I'm just going to keep talking until you turn this mic off. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K. WPG. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.